Raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear and I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to the Parenting for Liberation podcast. I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each episode, I'm joined by other Black parents, and we discuss our journeys to push past our fears to raise our beautiful Black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Hey, this is Trina here with Parenting for Liberation, and today's podcast guest is Loira Limbal. She is an Afro-Latinx filmmaker and DJ who creates incredible artwork that centers communities of color. And she is the recent director of Through the Night, a feature documentary about a 24-hour daycare center. Um, Loida is also a parent um, and really created this film. I, I had the invitation and opportunity to to screen the film, which is really incredible um, and really speaks to the role of caregiving um, and how it's such essential work, especially at this time. Um, and I also had the opportunity to be on a panel um, that Loida facilitated and really talked about how mothering um, is an act of resistance or a site of resistance. So excited to have this conversation about the film and mothering as resistance and just why essential care work is so important. So thank you, Lida, for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Trina. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of everything you're doing and the parenting for liberation is such important work. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a fan, too. I got to check out your <laughs> DJ set, though, because I was like, wait, when I found that out in the bio, I was like, ooh. I was like, I got to go. How do I? You're going to have to tell us at the end how to find out and uh, listen to your DJ, and I might have to bring you on. We might need to do, like, a celebratory, uh, or maybe yeah. it's not celebratory, but maybe next week after the elections, we might need some joy celebration. We might need a set, you know? <laughs> right, right. So we right. might have to not bring you sure. on. <laughs> Um, yeah. So let's get into the film. Well, first, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, even what inspired you to make the film, to produce the film. Sure. Um, so I, hello, everyone, and I'm joining this conversation today from the Bronx, New York, uh, where I live and where I uh, grew up, basically grew up between the Bronx and Harlem. Uh, and I'm home with my seven and nine-year-olds, uh, third and fourth graders doing virtual school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's me. <laughs> that's you one of us. Where I'm at. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you're probably gonna hear them shortly. You know, they come in and out and, and I'm I'm living that life, trying to juggle it all. And I am also outnumbered. There's two of them, one of me. So <laughs> the, the numbers are not in my favor, but you know, we are trying to do our best here and make do. Um, and uh yeah, I grew up uh, in New York. Um, you know, my parents are from the Dominican Republic. I was born in Puerto Rico uh, and, um, you know, grew up in, in a community that's very similar to the community that is uh, portrayed in the film through the night. And so uh, in terms of my inspiration or my desire to want to tell the story, uh, really comes from a personal place of wanting to see uh, portrayals of my community that are more in line with how I see my community and how I see us. Uh, and to be explicit, when I say my community, I'm speaking about, you know, poor and working class um, Black and Latinx folks. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking about the people that 
raised me, the people I grew up with, uh, the people that make me who I am. Uh, and, uh, you know, just this kind of realization that when we appear in cinema, you know, specifically, which, which is my, my space, uh, it's often in our moments of uh, sort of, you know, acute crisis or some sort of, you know, huge spectacle. It's, it's always these kind of grandiose moments of struggle. Uh, and while I certainly believe that is uh, absolutely critical for that to be documented and portrayed, I think that it's um, just as critical to see images that document and portray our lives and us actually living in our everyday, quiet, more intimate, more private moments. Uh, so it was wanting to create a portrait of that. And then specifically with, with Through the Night, I learned about this particular daycare that is featured in the film, These Tots, which is in New Rochelle, New York, uh, founded and run by Dolores Nunu Hogan and Patrick Hogan, her partner, uh, through an article that I read. And when I read the article, it immediately transported me to my own childhood. Uh, my mother raised us as a single working mother. She was a home health aide, so also a caregiver, right? Uh, and she worked the night shift. And I was the oldest, I'm the oldest of four, and so I, you know, was sort of my mother's right hand um, mm -hmm. in helping to provide childcare for my siblings, but also in, in kind of administering the household and keeping our family afloat. Uh, and so when I read this article, you know, and I, it just sort of transported me immediately to my childhood, made me think about my mother, how my mother, you know, raised us given the conditions that she was, you know, handed or living in, uh, which then made me think about, you know, all of the women that were uh, profiled in the article, the women in my neighborhood, my girlfriends, neighbors, you know, so many women that I know that um, are in similar situations, similar positions, and then just thinking about, like, wow, these stories don't ever get told. And so that made me become quickly obsessed with wanting to uh, tell the story and make a, a, a film about it. Hmm. Beautiful. Can you share the article, um, at least the source, so then we can um, link to it in the in the show notes? Sure. It's um. It was the rise of extreme childcare was the title. I don't remember the source, but I yeah. can um, look it up and send it to you. Yes. Great. Yeah. So it sounds like this work is so personal, right? Um, that you mm -hmm. wanted to capture the stories that resonate for you, your community, your people. Um, and the film is often described as a love letter to single mothers and caregivers. Um, and with that similar energy, Parent of Liberation um, started as a, a love letter, our commitment to uplift and celebrate black parenting in a way that it's often denigrated or criminalized, you know, just being a black parent. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of like, just we're doing a good job and our kids are thriving and look at all the ways that folks are, you know, parenting through a place of resistance and, and for liberation. Like that's not often seen. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I know it's described as a love letter. So I'm curious uh, about the love um, that you put into this film. Um, why was it so important to show it in this loving way, in this celebratory way? Yeah, so the reason why that, that's the approach is because I made the film, first and foremost, thinking about 
Nunu and Shinona and Marisol, who are the protagonists of the film, I made it thinking about my mother, my, myself, my homegirls, who are also single mothers. Um, you know, so I, I made the film thinking about the people that it's about and then thinking about, well, what do I want for these people and for primarily these women and sons, right? Um, and, you know, while there is certainly two-parent families and the daycare, um, the majority of the community is single working mothers of color, um, which I do think is a really particular experience. Um, and one, if you talk about stigma, hello. Mm. Like, we, we carry the brunt of that stigma both from outside of our community and within our community. Um, people are, there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of criticism very little support to go around. Uh, and, and in many ways, we internalize that shame and um, sort of deal with our struggles and our sorrows uh, in really uh, kind of intimate, private, and isolated ways mm. because we know that people have so many damn opinions mm. in my language, you know. It's true. Um, that 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 that. You know, that sort of shame from both within communities of color and outside of communities of color, right? Like structurally, the systems deal, criminalize us, right? Whether it's school, medical, you know, systems and, and so on and so forth. Then also within our communities, like, you know, folks have a lot, a lot, a lot to say, you know, and lots to say uh, and, and are not always necessarily um, really clear about, like, what it is that we're juggling, you know, Um and, and very little concern for ways that people can support us, right? And so um, given all that harshness that we have to navigate and traverse, I was like, well, what I want for us is some ease and some tenderness and some care, right? Mm. Um, I want a little bit of grace for us. And so that really informed the aesthetic approach of the film. I wanted the film to feel like the things that I desire for us. You know, mm, that's so good. So even this idea of like what the film to highlight what you desire for us, um, we know right now caregivers, you know, even yourself, as you described, you're home, you're working, you're also supporting your two children as they do virtual schooling. Right. So caregivers are caring so much. Um, and your film poses this question, who cares for the caregivers? Um, and after, during your screening, um, that was placed in my, in my spirit as a person who holds an organization, um, Parenting for Liberation that really is supposed to support, you know, create supports for black parents. It did make me question, how do we provide care for caregivers? And so we did start the Care for Caregivers Fund to support caregivers. And I know that a part of the film that you had did a GoFundMe to raise um, resources for essential workers and for the child care providers. And so as we are figuring out strategies, you know, in our ways, right, you're doing it your way, I'm doing it my way. And, and we know that so many communities do it that way, right? We show up for each other. We got us. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you think um, caregivers need right now and um, mm -hmm. how do we ensure that they get the support? And, and are there like campaigns or, you know, right now it's an election year. Are there are there campaigns? Are there policies? Are there um, bills um, that are really about giving us the care that we need as caregivers? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, a great question. Um, 
Well, you know, thinking about, so, so we did uh, the, the fundraiser that you mentioned, the essential care fundraiser, uh, primarily to support daycares that have remained open during the pandemic. Uh, they never closed, like Nuno and Patrick never closed uh, their daycare because they're caring for the children of essential workers, right? The people that are out there risking their health and their family's health so that society can continue to function, right? And mm-hmm. the rest of us can not have to be outside, right? So these, these people that are doing this work that now we understand is literally essential, um, you know, without any kind of hyperbole. Uh, I think one of the key things is, you know, there, there are sort of material um, things that can be done to support caregivers, like, you know, the idea with the fundraiser was essentially just let's put a little bit of money, you know, to give these folks who are functioning as a social safety net for tons of families, right? Um, that, you know, they're, they're, they're essentially these, the safety net uh, providing what society and the government should provide but does not to these people that are essential, right? And right. because we're structured in the way that we, we're structured and, and, you know, in the U.S. brand of capitalism, right, um, you know, we have this setup where we require people to essentially work themselves to the bone, you know, um, and sacrifice themselves. And so there's this idea of people are essential, but we actually treat them as sacrificial, not as mm. essential, right? And so as there's a the material piece, yeah. right, of like, you know, trying to support people materially, and, and, and that does, you know, directly connect with the idea of mutual aid, which, like you said, is not a new concept in our community. Like, this is how poor folks, black folks have, like, survived, right? It's by mm-hmm. holding each other down despite the systems, right? Like, mm-hmm. so this is not new, although it's, like, new, you know, in the mainstream, it's kind of a new concept, but mutual aid is, is something that is ancestral, right? Mm-hmm. Like, ancestral knowledge for us. Um, so that the fundraiser was in that spirit of mutual aid. Well, like, let's hold down with a little bit of cash the people that are literally holding down our whole communities, right? Um, that's the piece of it. I think there's another piece that is about our imagination. Mm. Um, and I think even just asking the question and continuously asking the question about who cares for caregivers is key right now because, like I said, we the, the expectation around the work of care because of who does it and who does it in this country is black and brown sons, low-income folks. Because of who does this work, the work is undervalued, it's invisibilized, it is disrespected, disre- disregarded, and we think we are entitled to it, right, as a society. But there's no idea, and it's supposed to be unconditional, um, and I think posing the question of who cares for the caregiver right now and being really like, you know, incessant about that um, is, is about saying, no, this should no longer be unconditionally expected. There should be conditions, right? And there should be reciprocity hmm. because we now understand in a, in a really profound way, in a way that we perhaps have never before on a sort of wide scale that this is literally the work that makes all other work possible. So we yes. now understand that. So Say then, that again, in case they didn't do? hear it. 
<laughs> you know? So what are we going to do now to take care of these people who care for us without whom we cannot function? We now understand it. So now let's act like we understand what we now know, you know? But I think part of it is just like the culture has to shift. Our imaginations have to shift, right? Like narratives have to shift, you know, in terms of, you know, there's a saying like cultural change precedes social change, which precedes political change. Mm. So that's, you know, where I'm at. It's like, okay, how do we shift the culture? And just asking the question so that, number one, caregivers themselves are like, oh, yeah, who is taking care of me? Oh, actually, matter of fact, nobody's taking care of me. Oh, wait. Hold on a minute. I need to ask somebody. I need to start asking some people for some care, you know. And then those of us we don't. that might not see, yeah. And those those of us that might not see ourselves as caregivers, or that's not a primary part of our identity, to begin to understand that we have care to give, you know, to others, and that that is a part of a contribution. That that is part of the revolution, you know. Because there's that piece too about it for me, which is, I, I think we're really. You know, when we think about revolution, even in our movements, our ideas of leadership are sometimes limited by, you know, patriarchy and, you know, and, and whiteness and these other things where we only see the work, the, we only see the fight as being revolutionary, right? And so we only see being on that front lines of, of a protest, you know, going toe-to-toe with the police and riot gear. That's like, you know, our imagination is like enthralled with that image as revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And yes, I believe that that is revolutionary, but it's a both end. And the women in our communities who, despite everything that is trying to kill us for centuries now, right? Like this project of genocide against our people is centuries old. Mm-hmm. The women who, in the face of that, still decide that you and me are worthy of love and care and who dare to dream big dreams for us, you mm-hmm. know, and take on this project of, like, I'm going to pour into you and to believe that we are worthy of life and love in that way. To me, that is deeply subversive and deeply revolutionary. Like, how are you continuously choosing life, you know, and sacrificing much of your own life to pour into this other life whether you are a biological parent or not, mm-hmm. you know, a key example for me within is, is that within the queer and trans community, mothers in that community, it's like, come on, you know, so you're choosing life when you're surrounded by death, mm-hmm. right? And making some of the most critical and intimate, intimate sacrifices in order to nurture other lives. Mm-hmm. To me, that's really subversive. And I also want our movements to think about caregiving in that way. You know, so there's a, a huge part of this that for me is about imagination and the imaginary and like freeing our imaginations from the limitations of, you know, this hetero white patriarchy, <laughs> capitalism, all the all the things. Right. Yes. Yes, you better. You better come through with the with the wisdom today. <laughs> you mentioned you were getting to what you want the movements to do in regards to caregiving. I want you to to finish that thread. You didn't. You stopped. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what um, can movements so, do? Yeah. So there's a there's a material piece. There's an imagination piece, and then the movements. There's a lot of people, um, and working at small scale. You know, locally within communities. Um, you know, within states. There's folks that are doing union work, there's people that are doing policy work, like national domestic workers, 
Alliance, um, I believe, has a, a bill right now, um, which is around essential workers um, and providing them with care and support and safety nets. Mm -hmm. um, the National Women's Law Center also is involved in a number of different initiatives. We have a bunch of resources, actually, like concrete resources for people that are interested in connecting with these kinds of organizations on our website, which is just through the nightfilm.com. Um, and so, you know, and then personally on an individual level, like, again, you know, if you are a caregiver, my wish for you is that you are able to receive care and you're able to see yourself as worthy of care. If you are not a caregiver, my wish is that you begin to see yourself as a caregiver and as someone who is capable of providing support, you know, to those who are caregivers in your community. I think there's a lot that can be done on a really kind of one-to-one -one individual, you know, basis to shift dynamics within relationships, within friendships, within families, you know, within our community. Because that's a huge piece, too. And right now... We are all really, you know, we are locked into our immediate, you know, surroundings. And so connecting, you know, and shifting dynamics and, and relationships with the people closest to you, physically closest to you, is also really, really important as well. Yeah. So important right now while we're all, like you said, we're all at home, in our home locations, um, mm -hmm. with our families, mm -hmm. with our pods, um, really seeing the importance of care work. And I really hear you, you know, calling forth all the folks who are listening, whether they identify as caregivers or not, to really be questioning um, who's caring for the caregivers and for caregivers to even begin exactly. to say, I deserve care. Um, yeah. That is such an it's important... Not, it's no longer, yeah, it's like no longer acceptable that caregiving is this, you know, caregivers are like these sacrificial lambs. Like the days of sacrificing are over. You know, no. people can reciprocity. Yes. Yeah, and I know that y'all have a campaign that I've seen on social media where it's like parents, um, mothers, caregivers are able to say what they need. Um, mm -hmm. And even being able to articulate that, you know, I was invited into that and I was like tripping up as I was like, what do I need? Mm -hmm. And that was the word mm -hmm. that came up was reciprocity. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm only asking in return what I'm putting out. I'm only asking exactly. that what I give and pour into other folks, because it's not only pouring into children, to be honest, right? When we're caregivers, no. we're providing care yeah. to people, grown-ass people, um, our partners, our, yeah, yep. our parents, you know, sometimes we're providing care all the time. You know, if we work in organizations or in businesses, we're, the way that we even lead is very nurturing um, in our organizations, yeah. in our positional power yeah. roles. We're still nurturing, and so— yeah, reciprocity yeah. is really what yeah. I was saying I needed. It's like I, I, I'm not asking for a lot. I'm just asking for what I pour out to be received um, in return. And so, so yeah, I think it's important for us to be able to name that. So if you are a caregiver, I want you to think about that and to name it for yourself. What do you need? What do you deserve? What kind of care do you need? Um, and that really yeah. is so central to um, Parenting for Liberation to work around healing because it's like about us first naming um, what do we need? So before we can be the yeah. best parent or caregiver to others, we have to actually receive that care and love for ourselves. That's right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for me, there's also a piece of it that is, it's really important that the conversation about care um, becomes 
accessible to everyone, you know, despite socioeconomic or educational background, because I do, you know, I traverse different spaces and communities. I, you know, like my mother still lives in the same hood that I grew up in. And so I have all my people that are still there, mm-hmm. you know, and then I went to college. And so I have access to other spaces of folks of color that are college educated and, you know, are traveling the world and, you know, whatever might, you know, just have different different levels of access and I, I sometimes um, fear that that conversation about care, self-care, collective care is only staying within those spaces of, you know, the folks that have developed those vocabulary. Mm. Um, and I think it's, for me, it's critical that that conversation reaches in ways that are accessible and relevant. You're, you're the, the, the clerk that's working at your supermarket Right. Who is literally essential. And she might have never read Audre Lorde, you know, or Bell Hooks or any of that. Right. Mm -hmm. She might never attend one of our Zoom panels. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's, you know, for me, in many ways, that's like who is of the utmost, Mm -hmm. you know, significance because um, she is the most critical, uh, as we see right now, but also. Okay. Okay. Can you please tell her to get on her call? Okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, she's she's the most critical. She's keeping your family, my family fed, right? Right, literally. Um, but she's but she's the most invisible, the most vulnerable, and the most sacrificial, right? And so um, I, that's a... Okay, so go, go ahead, it's fine. So for me, it's it's really um, critical to have this conversation, you know, about reciprocity and care and these things in ways that um, just really are like accessible and, and and relevant for all of our folks. That it doesn't require you having read any specific kind of book, you know, to be able to be in the conversation. And so that's and that is one of the things that I, I feel like film. I mean, there's many things I love about film and cinema, but you know, that that's the point, right? Is that you have three different protagonists, you know, you have Shinona, who is a pediatric ER nurse working the night shift. You have Marisol, who is working three low-wage jobs because none of her employers want to give her full-time hours so that they don't have to pay for benefits, right? And then you have Nunu, who is, is married and is supporting these other women, but also herself, you know, working around the clock. And, you know, the three of them are, are denied sleep. Like, literally, none of them sleep for more than three or four hours a night mm. because that is what we demand of caregivers, of, of the people that we call essential workers, right? We didn't call them that when I started making the film. But, you know, again, right, like the people that are doing this work that's so critical but so undervalued and that we, we force them to do this work in these conditions um, that literally are physically... Um, you know, harmful and, and I, I believe to be violent, uh, mm. that, you know, that somebody sees themselves in Marisol, you know, that sees themselves in Shanona, that they see themselves in Nuno, um, mm-hmm. and that, that that conversation about care can be one that becomes accessible to them in that way, you know. Um, so that, that's something, you know, I did want to bring in because I sometimes feel that tension, you know, of, of where we have those conversations and, and who's 
brought in or thought about, you know, in those conversations. And I, I want it to be for all of us. You know, like right now for me, it's like it's everything is all of us or none of us. Mm, you know, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what I'm on right now. Yeah, that resonates, and I, I I really appreciate you holding that and making sure that when we talk about care or self care or you know um, all of that, that it doesn't it's not only accessible to certain pockets of our people, that it's accessible to all our people, mm-hmm. and that it actually is more accessible to folks who actually um, are doing that essential work and labor. So I appreciate that. Um, you mentioned that these folks don't rest. And I remember in the film, one of the children um, said that their parent needed big rest, you know, mm-hmm. um, that that is also a, a need, right? And so we think about care for caregivers and we think about, you know, more resources and things. It's like literally just time to rest, mm-hmm. time to sleep, mm-hmm. time to nap, mm-hmm. Um and so it was just beautiful to see the kids saying that that's what their parents deserved. And I remember when COVID first happened and I was home and trying to juggle home schooling or, you know, virtual learning and working that I used to be so tired in the middle of the day. And I was like, I think I need a nap. And my son would be like, go to sleep. Go ahead. Take a nap. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, our kids also, they're there. They're witnessing. They're seeing the amount of care and they know what their they know what their caregivers deserve, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was beautiful to see that in the film. And so I wanted to kind of shift quickly to the children in the film. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just really beautiful to see Nunu um, and Patrick nurturing children in such a liberated way. You know, as I watched the film, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is parenting for liberation. This is caregiving for li- for liberation. So often we see these other images of black parents as that's hard, tough, mean. Um, but you captured, you know, the beautiful, comforting, patient, loving, nurturing of, of these children um, by Nunu and Patrick. What does liberation and parenting and caregiving look like or mean to you? And why was it important to capture that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think for me, and, and this is something actually I've been thinking about a lot recently. Uh, a friend of mine who lives in Puerto Rico now and um, ha- does a lot of work around just recovery, uh, and she's a mother uh, in Puerto Rico. You know, post Hurricane Maria and all the different you know fiscal crisis like they're saying like you know we've been living in apocalypse for like the last 10 years you know welcome to the apocalypse <laughs> um and uh you know she was saying that you know it's, it's one of her realizations is that parenting in a liberated way is essentially an expansion of seeking your own liberation right and so there's there's this way in which the big epiphany for me is like, oh, the things that I desire for my children, in order for me to manifest them for them, I actually need to desire those things for myself and seek them for myself. Um, mm-hmm. so that's, that's sort of been my, my big epiphany, you know, and then what, what that means and what that looks like uh, is a lot of communication and a lot of transparency with my children, uh, you know, obviously in age-appropriate ways, right? Like, I'm still the adult, they're still children. There, there are some things that, 
I think don't make sense to hand to children because they might not be equipped, right, to process them or to do much with what you're handing them. And so then you're just burdening them. Um, but, you know, within that, like being really transparent, um, you know, and trying my best to sort of level, right, like the the dynamic, the power dynamic in our household. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'm a contradiction. Like I, I said at the top, you know, I'm, my, my folks are from the Caribbean. So sometimes that Caribbean piece comes out <laughs> and I'm like, listen, there's God and then there's me. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the order of things. So, like, yeah, you about to do what I say you're going to do. And sometimes I go there and I, and I think that there is room for both, it, you know, for both that approach and then for us to be really kind of horizontal, particularly in this moment where everything is really uncertain and I actually don't, most of the time I really feel like I don't know the answer and I don't know what's coming. I can't always explain, you know, I don't always have the answers to their questions, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't always know what the next best step is for us as a unit. And so I'm, I'm really instilling that, like, we are a unit, we're a team, and we are all uniquely endowed with different gifts. And so what I need from you all right now is to bring your gifts to the table. You know, from my daughter, I'm like, this is what we need from you. Or from my son, I'm like, this is what we need from you. And then I'm like, this is what I think I bring, you know, to the unit. Can we all show up with that? Because it's bumpy and it's scary and I don't know, you know? Um, and that, you know, that sort of transparency and surrender, right, of the need to kind of control or dictate or overpower, you know, my children, um, you know, it is connected with a, a, a kind of a, a search for, for that for myself, right, of... of not trying to control myself, my feelings, being authentic and honest with myself about, hey, I I have needs. Oh, that that's okay. It's okay to have needs. You're human. Like, you know, um, and then being trying to be present with with whatever the day brings us, right, or the hour brings us, and then just using communication and connection to sift our way through that. You know, I just kind of feel like right now we're all on a boat. You know, and depending your situation, you might be on a rowboat or you might be on a yacht, right? So mm. we're not, I, you know, I don't mean to say like we're all in the same boat type of thing because I don't believe that to be true. But mm-hmm. I think right now we're all in these sort of troubled waters trying to wade our way through. And I just, you know, my kids, I'm like, listen, I need you um, and your unique talents. Like we need you, right, to stay stay afloat and, and be able to reach some, some land soon. Um, so that's, you know, what, what it looks like to me. And I also, in terms of the film, like, I did want to counter those stereotypical depictions, right, of, you know, particularly Black women as just, like, harsh and mean and, you know, punishing all the time because I'm like, that's not... Yeah, there's some people like that, you know, in my family and my community, but there's also parents that are like the opposite that, you know, you're like, oh, you, you're, you, you need to be a little more straight, but you need to be more disciplined. There's parents that are really funny. There's parents that are this, there's parents that are that, like there's this whole spectrum, right? Like, 
of the way that we parent because we're humans. Like we have the whole range of complexity and of nuances that every other community has. Mm -hmm. But because of white supremacy, that is never the image that, that gets shown of us to others. But again, for me, it's like even more importantly, it's not shown to us. Right. Right. So we then believe of ourselves what the system believes of us, which is to me the greatest kind of damage and the thing that I really seek to, you know, counter and undo in my work. Mm. Well, I appreciate you for your work. Thank you for sharing so much about how you practice liberation with your children um, by even naming their unique talents that they have to offer to your to your crew to your squad, in your home, right? That they have a role, they have gifts, they have strengths, right? Honoring that and bringing them to the table, that's just so important as a practice of liberation. So thank you for naming that. Um, and thank you for your film and the work that you do to really humanize black and brown folks, black and brown parents and caregivers. Because as you said, we are a range. We have so much diversity. Okay. We're not a monolith. Um, and we can have... We are loving, caring, um, supportive, gentle, nurturing, as well as strict and disciplined, you know, that we have a range. And so I just really appreciate you humanizing us, right? And folks can see themselves in the characters in your film um, and, and, and feel seen, right? Um, feel that their experience is seen. And so I just appreciate the, the work that you do. Um, before we close, I was wondering if you wanted to share with folks how they can, you know, screen the film, or I know there's upcoming um, ways for folks to, to check it out. Yes, yes. And thank you, Trina. Thank you for your work. As I said at the top, I'm a fan. And I, it's, um, you know, one of the gifts of this time period, even with all the chaos and, and the horror of, of it all, is that I do feel like I've been able to connect with so many dope women and sons that are really leading from a place of like motherhood as this technology of transformation, like Alexis Pauline Gums called it, you know, that mothering mm -hmm. um, is this thing that we, you know, is this site of resistance and possibility. Right. And I, and I feel like we we're all sort of finding each other. You know, people have been doing this work for a long time. Obviously, it's not new, but I do feel like there's, a, there's this moment right now where we're finding each other and, and aligning and like the, the, the sound that that's creating, you know, is more beautiful and it's bigger you know, and it's like gaining strength. So um, and I, you know, you're, you're one of those gifts um, for, for me this, this year. Um, so. I'm super appreciative of, of this time with you on this conversation. And then in terms of the film, it is playing um, at festivals all over the country right now. Um, and we'll be playing uh, through the end of November. And all of this meeting information is on our website, throughthenextfilm.com. And then also on our social channels. I think on, on Instagram, we're through the next doc. And we're on Twitter and Facebook, um, so we're, we're pretty easy to find. And, and again, all the information for screenings is there. Um, and, yeah, and we're still, you know, hoping to connect with uh, as many organizations. We want to partner with folks who want to bring the film to our folks, um, whatever that means right now. You know, like we're down to figure it out with people. Um, 
so so yes, yeah, so if, if anyone is interested in watching the film or in partnering, please contact us. And again, you can do that through the website. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope that something shared on this episode helps you on your journey to liberated parenting. To learn more about our other episodes, check out our website at www.parentingforliberation.org backslash podcast. Please like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a good review. Bye.